0: Well, good evening. I'm glad you all came back tonight and uh, had a wonderful service here. The Lord is really blessing. I'm so glad to hear about uh, Camp Bahama and all the wonderful things that are happening there, and how God is blessing with a great uh, opportunity to reach your own folks here for Jesus Christ. It started at a young, at a young age. We uh, have several camps in Costa Rica and Germany and a few other places that we're trying to do the same thing in those uh, different places. Uh, different areas, and it's very effective ministry because um, the younger people are, the more likely they are to come with a saving knowledge of Christ. Um, I have a sort of an overview, kind of a a video that I like to show about our mission. As I told the Sunday school class tonight, uh, we're in 54 countries around the world. Our mission is primarily broken down into uh, evangelism and and church planning. Church planning is always the... the, uh, effort. It's always the direction we're headed. It's its the goal for us. But under evangelism, we do a lot of different things to try to get people to come to Christ. We do a lot of helps ministries. We do food, and we do orphans, and we do um, all those kinds of things. We have four radio broadcasts, one that you support, the Ahoban broadcast, which goes into West Bengal and in India and into Bangladesh. It's the fourth largest language group in the world, And that broadcast comes on right after the international news every morning. And we have 15 minutes, five days a week, where we preach the gospel. And thousands upon thousands of people have come to Christ over the last 37 years that that uh, broadcast has gone out. And then we have other things in in Sierra Leone, um, well drilling, and uh, a few other things that help us to open up Muslim areas. When you go into a Muslim area, it's very difficult to share Christ. Uh, especially when you have villages that that's all they've known. And so if you go in and do something helpful to them, like drill a well and give them clean water, Sierra Leone has the highest mortality rate in the world. And uh, people were dying there left and right. In the area where we're working, we have uh, stopped disease. Uh, no more malaria, no more typhoid, because we have a deep, clean water well. We have a well driller there that... Um, does that we've drilled over 100 wells there and the interesting thing is when we bring the well drawer down the street and down the down the actually down the path and you have a chief there in his village and he comes out and he's a muslim and you tell him we'll drill him a clean pure cold well for his village we'll do it free the only thing we ask is for a piece of land to build a church and he'll make that transfer every time they've never turned us down And then when we drill the well and we put a well pump on it, uh, the first time that we pump water, we have a dedication ceremony, and we preach the gospel. And I've been in villages uh, at that ceremony. I've been in villages um, where the whole village is out. Every person in that village wants to see that water come up out of the ground because they have these wells they dig themselves down 25 or 30 feet. And um, they dry up, and they get polluted, and um, it just brings disease to the village, and people get sick. And they're all out there. And I was in one village um, th- at the dedication, and I, I preached the gospel, and I go very cl- uh, carefully, very slowly through the various elements so that they understand what they're doing. And right in the middle of that, the Muslim called a prayer <laughs> blew elf in the village. And you'd expect all of them to run to the mosque, but none of them did except the imam, and he grabbed two boys who were standing beside him and tried to drag, him, drag them to the uh, mosque. They got away from him and came back to the meeting, so he did too. There was nobody there but him. And um, at the end of that uh, presentation of the gospel, the whole, I didn't ask him to do this, but the whole village prayed out loud the prayer of faith through Christ, the whole village. Now, I know that not everyone got saved by praying that prayer that day, but 50 people did. And um, they're the ones that uh, started the church. I went back to that same village a year and a half later, and they had a church built. They were holding services, and they had a Christian school in there. And we went back to train the pastor and try to do those things. And so you can use helps ministries to try to, to share the gospel with people that are really not open. And the Lord blesses that effort. And I'd like to show you just an overview of our, our mission, if you don't mind. It's just a short video. wanted to find out more about our ministry, just go to Mission go, missiongo.org dot org, And um, you can find out about some of the ministries we have. A lot of the uh, people that are in dangerous areas we don't have on the website because their, their lives would be jeopardized. But uh, we have a lot of other things on there that you might be interested in. And if you wanted to contact us, we would appreciate that. Now at the business's hand, this morning we talked about touching people. And we saw this morning that... Um, if we want to touch people, we need to be touched, and um, the Lord needs to work in our lives and touch us and change us. And tonight, we want to talk about changing lives. And of course, the uh, the best way to change a life is to bring a person to Christ, and that's basically what the passage um, that we have as the uh, missions conference passage found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and if you turn there tonight... We'll look at that challenge that's in that scripture. And God is a great God. Um, I told the Sunday school class today that Jesus, I believe his theme of his whole ministry, his reason for coming, was found in Luke chapter nineteen, verse ten, which says, Jesus said, I came to seek, I come to seek that which is lost. I came to seek that which is lost. And I think that's his heart. And I think that, as he looks down on this world, and he sees the seven hundred seven billion people that inhabit this world right now, you'd have to say that his heart would be broken. This morning we spent a lot of time talking about the holiness of God. And uh, holiness is, a, is who he is. It's his character. And basically he can't be in the presence of anything that's not holy. He can't be in the presence of anything that's sinful, anything that's unclean, because He's a holy, pure, perfect, undiminished, unblemished God, and He's mighty and powerful. And I think tonight as we, we look at these Scriptures, I think some thing, there are things here that are um, not really a call to ministry, they're really uh, obligations, they're really commands for us to do as Christians once we become a believer in Christ. I think the things that are found in this uh, passage are things that we are required to do as believers. And we'll find out tonight that we are actually God's representatives here on earth. And we are all he has, you and me, to do the work. He works through believers in this generation as he has in every generation to reach their generation for Christ. And so we're the ones that have to take the gospel, we're the ones that have to be the spokesman for God here on earth. And we can do that in many ways. We can do that by the spoken word or by using the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's a proper way to do it. But also by our lifestyle, and the way we act and react to people that we come in contact with. Because if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, we are his representative, and we ought to act like his representative. We ought to act like Christ and we ought to do things that Christ would want us to do. And so I think this passage sort of brings that out better than maybe any other passage in the word of God. And of course it's right with your theme touching people and changing lives. So let's look into the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to believe, I want to begin tonight down in verse 14. It says for the love of Christ compels us Actually, that word has the idea of controlling us. It should be the love of Christ controls us. We should be in so love, so in love with Christ that we sense his presence and we sense his love, and it should control us, it should control everything that we do. It says, the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. Now those of us of are believers... We have received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And one of the things that happened, one of the best things that happened, at the moment you receive Christ your Savior by faith, For by grace you're saved through faith, it's not of yourselves, it's a gift. It's a gift, it's a gift of God, not a worse as they may should boast. The moment you receive Jesus Christ, the gift that God has given to us, the Lord Jesus, as He dies on the cross, as He ra- rises from the dead, when you receive the gift The first thing that happens, or one of the first things that happened, is that you are totally, 100%, forgiven for your sins. Now that is a wonderful benefit. Because that immediately takes away all your guilt, or at least it should. And Jesus Christ, when He died on the cross, when He took the wrath of God upon Himself, when He paid the penalty for your sin... When he hung there as your representative and God the Father and his anger towards you and towards the sinfulness and the rebellion that you have in your heart and the waywardness in your soul, that was put on Jesus Christ and Jesus died for you and paid the penalty for your sin. Every last one of them. From the very first sin you ever committed to the last one you're going to commit before you die. That's past, present, and future sin. You're forgiven. What a great thing that is. And that's what it says here. That's what it's telling us here. It says, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if Christ died for all, he died for all believers, those of us who are receivers of his grace, then all died. We all died with him on the cross of Calvary. This is taught over in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin, the body of sin, all your sin, the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So you've been freed of sin. It's been paid for. It's gone. Now you can sin today and you can sin tomorrow and that's going to have an effect on you because God always judges sin in your life. But for eternity, your sin is all forgiven. And that should, that should free you up to be who you are. That's one of the beauties of the Christian life. I think that might be one of the best things that happens to believers. Because at the moment you receive Christ, your sins are totally forgiven, and you're, you're free to be who God created you to be. And you can live the way God wants you to live. And of course, that's to serve him. And so all your sins have been taken away. That also means that you can't blame your sin on somebody else. You know, as much as I like, I'd like to blame some of my sins on my wife. Because she sometimes sends me the wrong way. And you have the same thing. But I can't do that. I can't also blame my sins on the devil. The devil made me do it. No, if you sin after you're saved... It's because you willfully rebelled against God and His Word, and you're responsible for what you did. And there will be consequences for that sin. But for, first John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just, to forgive us our sins, and He cleanses us. He purifies us from all unrighteousness. You get back in fellowship. But you don't have to sin. And if you do, blame yourself. Don't blame God. Don't blame anybody. Don't blame your circumstance. Don't blame your boss. Don't blame your spouse. Don't blame your children. Don't blame your church. You did it. Take responsibility for it and make it right. That's what God wants us to do with sin. Take responsibility for your wrongdoing. Confess your sins. And if you sinned against someone else, the Bible tells you you go to that person and you make it right. And we'd have unity in the church if believers would carry this out. If you look at the discipline, the way it's laid out in Matthew 18, you know, you go to your brother if you sin against him. There's something between you and your your brother or sister in Christ. You're supposed to go to them and straighten it out. And, of course, the last phase, if you can't straighten it out, the church is supposed to get involved. Because there's supposed to be unity in the body. There's great... There's a great impact in society if the body is unified. If everyone who is a member of Calvary Bible Church would be unified and would love one another and care for one another and meet each other's needs and would confess our sins to one another, this would be a supernatural body that would make a tremendous impact for Jesus Christ. And basically, that's what the passage is introducing us to. Because sin is a big problem. But Jesus Christ took took care of it. Verse 15, and he died for all. Jesus Christ on the cross died for all. But only the believers are the ones that have their sins forgiven. And he died for all, and those who live should no longer live for themselves. You shouldn't be living for yourself. You should be living for Christ. He's the one who did all the work on the cross. You didn't do anything to have your sin forgiven. You didn't do anything. You took it. There was a gift given by God. You accepted the gift, and you're free. You didn't work for it. You don't deserve it. (laughs) You certainly don't deserve it. But you have it. If you're a believer in Christ, you ought to be thankful for that. You ought to be thankful to God that your sins are forgiven, because it takes away guilt. You know, some of us have committed sins years ago, And we're still carrying them around. We confess them, but it just keeps coming back. Oh, I did this terrible thing. I'm so embarrassed. There's shame in my life. And we carry it around, and it keeps coming back. Satan uses it over and over again. Brings it back. You sinned over there, you're no good. God can't use you, because you sinned. Jesus forgave that sin. I don't care what it was. I don't care how bad it was. Jesus forgave the sin, so what it means is you should forgive yourself. And move on. And when it comes up, say, Satan, I've already taken care of that sin. I've confessed that sin. It's under the blood of Christ. Jesus died for that sin, and it's paid for. Move on. If we would do that, we would have a whole new focus on life. We would be a different person. Because we wouldn't all constantly be held back by the things that we've done in the past. Because all of us have a bad past. There are things I don't want you to know about me. I used to tell my church if they would know how I acted in my teen years, uh, they wouldn't have me as pastor of the church. But the wonderful thing is, I'm forgiven. I'm free. I'm cleansed. And the other thing is, you know, if your brother committed a bad sin and you know about it, and he's got it right, then you shouldn't be judging him. You shouldn't be holding that sin against him. Because Christ isn't. God isn't. We're all sinners saved by grace. There's not one of us here who deserves anything. Not one of us. We're tainted. There's all of us have shame in our lives. Forgive it. You are forgiven. Move on. I think that's the greatest thing that I, I could tell any, any congregation, because if you act this way, you'll be transformed and the church will be transformed. And this is what the world's looking for. They're looking for hope. They're looking for joy. They're looking for peace. And we're the ones that are supposed to have it. And we can't have it if we're still having guilt for sin and those kinds of things. Now, I'm not trying to tell you to go out and sin and do anything wrong. That is wrong. I don't want you to go out of here and tell, tell that. I don't want you to go out tell anybody that I told you that. But I know all of us sin. I sin every day. I try not to, but I sin every day, and so do you. But we can move past that and be who we are, and it shouldn't be holding us back to serve Christ. We ought to be free to be who God wants us to be. And it ought to be a joyful experience. It ought to be a happy experience. It ought to be a blessed experience to walk with God each day. Well, let's move on to the text, because we have some three major teachings here we want to get to. Notice verse 15, He died for all, and those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him, for Christ... Who died for them and rose again. That's the gospel. Jesus died and he rose again. He's alive. He's the only God who died and came alive. He seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's here tonight. He's here tonight in our presence, in our midst. What a great privilege that is. What a great blessing that is. Verse 16, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. That's the idea. We're all sinners. We shouldn't be judging other people. We shouldn't be uh, picking out people. We shouldn't be trying to tear down people. We should try to be building up people and encouraging people. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. He's not in the flesh anymore. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. Now, moving on, here we go. Here's point number one, verse 17. Therefore, on the basis of this teaching I just gave you. <laughs> therefore, that's why it's therefore. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Has it happened in your life? Praise the Lord. It says any man who is in Christ. When we're in Christ, when we're believers in Christ, old things should be passing away. Old sinful practices should be passing away. Behold, all things should be coming new. Now you hear stories about people who are smokers and they've received Christ. They throw the cigarette away or the pack of cigarettes away and they never smoke again. And the drunk who throws away his bottle and never drinks again. And some of those things are true. Sometimes we have to work through those. Different Different people work through different things because God is a God of each one of us. And it's individualized. We can't make generalities over everybody we just let to see we just wait and see how god works in individual people's lives but therefore if any man's in christ he's new he's regenerated he's perfect i came from dallas seminary and we have Burry chafer and he came up with 34 things that happen at the moment of salvation and i don't know all 34 of them but i know some of them one of them is our sins are forgiven one of them is that our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit one of them is we are sealed by the Holy Spirit for eternity and it's a guarantee that we will be in heaven one of them is that we've been adopted into God's family we've been adopted we were aliens we were outside the family of God and He adopted us He chose us into his family. We're now the children of God. And he's a father watching over his children. He's watching over you and me. He's taking care of us. He's helping us through the difficult times in life. He's meeting our needs. He's helping us. He's blessing us. He's watching out for us. He's got our back. Those are some of the things that he's done. We have a guarantee for eternity. We're going to be in heaven. We're going to be absent from the body and face face to the Lord because of our relationship with Christ. We're a new creature. We ought to act like it. We ought to act like it. When we aren't seeing our old nature popping up. We ought to tap it down. We ought to confess our sin and tap it down and move on. If we do those things, God will bless us. And I think this is sort of like the, the preamble for the for the thing that God has done for us. Now look at this. We Verse 18. Now all these things are of God. So the things I just told you are things of God, and he's the one that makes us new creation, new creatures. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What is reconciliation? Reconciliation means that we are enemies. We are fighting each other. We're at odds with each other. And basically it's saying we're at odds with God. We're fighting God. We're fighting against God. You find a lot of people in society, they're fighting against God. Reconciliation means that we are befriending God. We have been reconciled to God. We we have had our, our differences between God and ourselves, and the differences have been taken care of. We maybe blame God for certain things that have happened in our lives. And we reconcile those things. We reconcile our things with God, and we become a friend of God. And that's what reconciliation. Once we were enemies of God. We were outside the kingdom of God. We were outside God's influence. But now we are reconciled to God, and now we are a friend of God. And we're good friends with God. And that's the ministry of reconciliation. And this verse tells us that each believer has that ministry. The ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation. And we are supposed to be reconciling other people to God. People that are alienated from God. People that blame God. People that think they were hurt by God. People who don't believe in God. We're supposed to be reconciling. That's our ministry. That's not a calling. It's not something that, that just certain people are supposed to do in the body of Christ. It means that all of us have a ministry. And the ministry is reconciliation. And we're supposed to be reconciling ourselves to God. We're supposed to be sharing the gospel with those who have never heard. Sharing the gospel with our friends and relatives. I have a, I have a Jewish neighbor on one side and a Catholic family on the other side of our home back in Buffalo. I haven't been successful at leading either one of those families to Christ. But they all know the gospel because I have a ministry of reconciliation. And people around us ought to know that as well. We don't need any Christians who are secret agents. We need Christians who will stand up for their faith and stand up for Christ and be bold in the proclamation. I think that's one of the problems with the church today, particularly in North America. I don't know about here because I don't live here. But in North America, we have a lot of people that claim the claims of Christ I believe most of them are believers in Christ, but they never tell another soul, they never witness, they never share their faith, they never have. They never see any fruit for their labor, that no one would even be bothered by even talking to them. And I think because we do that, I think we get taken for granted in society, and I think we get shoved aside because we have no impact. We... We, we, ha- we don't even have a say in the argument because we, d- we don't project uh, the, the gospel of Christ. We don't project who Christ is and what he's done for people. And I think because of that, we become a non-entity. I was down the NRB uh, convention, and one of the speakers just really, really struck me bet- between the eyes. You know, we feel like we're in a fight with uh, atheists or we feel like we're in a fight with somebody's in a cult or we feel like we're in a fault with in a fight with with people that disagree with us on certain issues. You know, I can say it here tonight, you know, I do not believe in abortion. <laughs> I don't want uh, I don't want to fund abortions through my tax money. And I don't believe in homosexuality. I believe it's a sinful practice. Those kinds of things. But the point is no one stands up and then these things get legislated and we have hate crimes and we have all these kinds of things that come down upon us. But no one's standing up. No one's making a difference. No one's telling God's side of it because we don't want to have retribution. We don't want to be looked at as somebody who's a right-wing fuddy-duddy. We don't want to stand out. We just want to slide along like we always had, doing things that make us comfortable. And those things, I don't think in the future, are going to be very helpful to the cause of Christ. I think he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. We ought to be telling others about Jesus Christ. The statistics are that probably only 5% of the Christians actually see other people come to Christ. 5%. They say that even 50% never even share their faith. They don't even bother sharing their faith. And so we have all these folks who are recipients of God's grace, who are redeemed by the blood of Christ. And they're just cruising through life on autopilot. And no one knows. And they don't care. And I think that's going to be a problem in the future as things continue to turn against those of us who are believers in Christ. I think there might come a time when we will have to stand up for our faith. Where we'll have to declare that Jesus Christ is your Savior. What are you going to do when authority comes and arrests you and then asks you pretty much what they ask Jesus? You know, They asked Jesus, are you the Son of God? What did Jesus say? I am. (laughs) I am the Son of God. What are they going to do? They're going to ask you what? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, your Savior? What are you going to say? If you say yes, there's going to be persecution. They may be prison. Who knows? If you say no, you deny your Lord. Can you do that? Can you do that? A lot of people in Germany, before World War II, they knew things were gone wrong. They knew the church wasn't standing up. And what did they get? They got Nazism, and nothing could stand up. And I think we're on a path that's very similar to that. And a lot of people, a lot of theologians are making that comparison right now in our society. We have the ministry of reconciliation. It's one of the greatest blessings that we have. You want to change a life? Lead them to Christ. What's one of the most joyous things that you can do in this life? Lead them to Christ. One of the happiest things. One of the greatest things you can do is see people come to Christ. Because their destiny is instantly changed. Where are they gone without Christ? Where are they gone? Jesus in his ministry, in the Gospels, he speaks three times more about hell than he does about heaven. Why does he speak more about hell? Because he doesn't want anyone to go there. What's the description of hell? Weeping and dashing of teeth. The pain is so bad, your jaw is jammed up against each other. Your teeth are cracking. The worm that doesn't die. Torture forever and ever and ever. Who do you want to go there? Who's your worst enemy? You don't even want your worst enemy to go there, do you? And yet we don't stand up and tell them about Christ, the way of truth, the way out of that situation. (laughs) It's the ministry of reconciliation. Because we share the gospel and they get saved, what does it happen? They become a new creature. (laughs) They're changed. They're different. They're redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have this ministry of reconciliation. You know what? If everyone's sitting here, and the next year would just lead one person to Christ, what would happen to this congregation? It'd double, right? If the next year everybody in that congregation led one to the Lord, what would happen? You see the multiplication process you see the impact that this church can have just by leading one person, leading one person to Christ. You can get to a place where this church isn't, you know, you'll be at two services and then three services, and then you'll have resources to build a bigger church somewhere. But the statistics are that that won't happen. You know, every day when I get up, I pray for divine appointments. I pray for something to happen in that day that I can't explain by my own effort. I can't explain it by my own effort. It's something that God did. And you know, most days, I get a divine appointment. You get a chance to share Christ or share some to a believer, try to encourage a believer. You get an opportunity that you didn't expect. A lot of times when I'm in a, conversation with an atheist or someone who's in a cult i pray this prayer while we're talking said lord would you lead this conversation towards yourself and you know if you pray that prayer it's usually the other person that opens the door that you can share your faith it happens over and over again you can do it god can help you do it and then we get to um Verse 18. Verse 19. Now, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. First we have the ministry of reconciliation. Now we have the word of reconciliation. And that word is that God was in Christ reconciling the world. That's why Christ came. Isn't that John three sixteen? For God so loved the Bahamas... No. For God so loved America? No. <laughs> For God so loved the world? That's the people on the other side of the globe. Everyone. seven Seven billion plus. For God so loved the world, uh, what did he do? That he gave his only begotten Son, his one and only Son, that whosoever, meaning anyone in the world, whosoever believes, trusts in him, whosoever believes in him, will not perish, not go to hell, but have everlasting life. Jesus died for the sins and for the people of the world. And not only that, it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He did that on the cross. Not imputing their trespasses to them, meaning he forgave them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. But when you see the word imputing in that text... Now you're starting to talk about the doctrine of justification by faith. And that doctrine tells me that another thing that happens at the moment of salvation is that God imputes Christ's righteousness to me. And when God the Father looks at me, He sees me as pure and perfect as Jesus is. And that allows me, as a believer down here on earth, to come into His presence and to pray to Him and have communion with Him And to have a close fellowship with Him. And I can sense His presence and I can know His will because He has made me righteous. Not that I deserve it. Not that I am. But He imputes His righteousness to us. But it's through His Word, the Word of reconciliation. And these things we need to be sharing. We need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we also ought to know that we are righteous people. We're righteous people in God's eyes because we've been imputed with Christ's righteousness, and we're as righteous as He is. What a great position that is. What a great opportunity we have. What a great position we have. Another thing He gives us at the moment of salvation is we get to judge angels at some point. These big, powerful beings we talked about this morning. We're going to judge those guys. I want to talk to my guardian angel. I want to ask him about a few things. Thank him for a few things. But it's just amazing what, what God has done for us. And then we get to the verse that we want to, that the uh, conference um, theme is. Now then, on the basis of these things that we just talked about, all those things. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. <laughs> we are ambassadors. So we have three things here. First of all, we've given the ministry of reconciliation. So we're supposed to reconcile people to themselves, share the gospel. We have the word of reconciliation. is what Christ did on the cross and all his work in our lives and the things that he's done. And now we have the fact that we are called ambassadors for Christ. We've been given a position. You have to give, you have to get this position. It has to be, um, you have to be chosen for this position. Now I have, um, uh, uh, I've got the uh, four things that, that makes up an ambassador. And here they are. Ambassadors are chosen And uh, Christ has chosen Paul to be his representatives. Paul didn't represent himself. His message was the gospel Christ had committed to his trust. His aim was to please Christ and be faithful to the task that was given to him. So we have been chosen to be an ambassador for God. We have been chosen to be an ambassador for God. You have position. Ambassadors represent a country represent your country to another country. You go to the other country, and you're representing the interests of the Bahamas in that other country. And it's a great and special position that you have. And we are ambassadors for Christ, so we represent Christ in this foreign country. You know, this place isn't our home. Did you know that? This isn't our home here. Some of us get too cozy down here. We we like it down here. I got news for you. Heaven's so much better than this place down here. So much better. It's going to be so wonderful. It's just going to, it's just going to be overwhelming when we get there. First of all, it's going to be overwhelming because we're going to be in the presence of Christ. And that's going to be a wonderful experience. But also, it's overwhelming because we're going to be with all the people that went on before. All our relatives, our mom and dad, my mom and dad. All the people went before. A great fellowship. And plus, we get rid of our own sin nature. The old sin nature goes down in the grave. And we're pure. And we're perfect. And we're finally holy. And we don't look at things through a cloudy, sinful mind. We're going to see them clear. We're going to be able to see things clearly and understand things clearly. And we'll be able to see things as they are. What a wonderful thing. The second thing is, ambassadors are protected you know they, you really ambassadors are protected except if you're ambassador for the united states in benghazi then you're not protected but all the rest of the ambassadors are supposed to be protected and they have armed guard and uh, number three ambassadors are held accountable they represent the nation but they have to give an account for their ambassadorship they have to give an account of how they serve their country and uh, these things are written down And four. Ambassadors are called home before a war is declared. Uh, remember in World War II, the Japanese called their ambassadors home right before they hit Pearl Harbor. And so we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. So the point is, because we're ambassadors, we have a special place. We have this ministry of reconciliation. We have the word of reconciliation. We're an ambassador. We're supposed to be sharing Christ. We're representing Christ on earth where you are his representative. You and I are all, we, all he has to do the work of the ministry. Now, let me tell you something. We, we have a Muslim ministry that's um, quite effective. We have Hogob over there who you support, and I thank you for that. Um, he's planted churches in all these, all these countries, eight countries, and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful man of God. He also has a—it's interesting. Let me, let me just tell you this one little side story on him. Uh, he, need, he needed Bibles. He needs Arabic Bibles. And we were getting them out of Egypt, but then Egypt had a, a blow-up, so we didn't have any, couldn't get any Bibles out of there. So <laughs> here's a guy, a Muslim guy in, in Amman, who uh, was a printer, and, and Hugub got to know him, and um, <laughs> he decided that he wanted to help Hagab print Bibles. And so he went and bought a special press that can print on Bible paper. And uh, he, 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 he prints free. He, all his labor is free. The press is free. The only thing we have to pay for is the paper and the ink. So we can print Arabic Bibles for about two bucks. And we actually charge four dollars because we can get the Bible for two bucks, but it costs us two bucks to ship it to these other countries. We you know, he's he's planted churches in Iraq and Iran and Syria and uh Libya and Sudan and several others. But for four bucks, we can get a Bible from a Muslim printer, which is sort of ironic to me. But uh gob is a is a wonderful missionary, a, a person who does a ministry of reconciliation and gives out the word of reconciliation now, why I would bring him up because the arab world there 's a revival going on in the in the Muslim world. did you know that and people are seeing visions of Christ in their sleep and i 'll probably tell you about some of those visions probably on Tuesday night, but the point is this: a person could be uh, have a vision in fact. <laughs> the story i like i guess i'll tell you anyway one of the stories that i like the best is this guy was a christian in in cairo egypt and in the middle of night he had two guys show up with a gun in his bedroom and they kidnapped him they drug him through the streets of cairo and they wound up at the big mosque in the middle of egypt which is the mosque of egypt They took him inside the mosque. They took him downstairs into a side uh, room down in the basement. They took his blindfold off, and there were six imans there. These six imans had had a vision of Jesus, and it had changed them. They went to find Jesus. And this Christian was able to share the gospel, and these people were saved. Now, I didn't used to believe in dreams and those kinds of things. But the Gob says it's the same over and over and over again. God is doing something special in the Muslim world right now. But here's the point. Jesus can show up in a Muslim's dream, but that doesn't bring them to Christ. They see His holiness. They see His brightness. They see His love. They sense His love, but they don't come to Christ. They have to search out a Christian to hear the gospel to receive Jesus Christ because it's Christians who are ambassadors for Christ. It's you and me who have the ministry of reconciliation. It's you and me who have the word of reconciliation. And we are His ambassadors. We are the ones who are supposed to be bringing people to Christ because God doesn't have any other plan but you and me. And so, if you're not involved... In the ministry of reconciliation, or the word, is spread, or the word of, of reconciliation, you're falling down on your job as ambassador. Now, let me finish by going earlier in the chapter, up in um, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I was in Corinth. I've seen the beam of the judgment seat. I saw the Marketplace where that's seated and the high place where that bema is, and the picture is Christ sitting on that bema, and you're the usually it's a prisoner brought in there, but you'll be a believer. You won't be a prisoner. You'll be brought in. You'll stand before Christ at some place, and you'll have to give account. You won't have to give account for your sin because that's paid for. You're not going to stand there and see your sins come before your for your face. What you're going to see is all your good works, the things that you think are good works. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, some of your works are going to be wood, hay, and stubble, and they're going to burn up right in front of your eyes. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that you will suffer loss when you see that happen. And I looked up the word loss in Greek. You can do the same thing that I can do. And that is a real loss. You're going to sense a loss that you wasted your life here on earth. I'm not saying it's the word of God. But some of your works are going to be gold and silver and precious stones, and you put the heat to that, and it purifies it, but it still remains, and you get, you get a crown. You get rewarded for good works. You get crowns. You get blessings. Now I don't know about you, but standing before Jesus Christ giving an account of my life is a scary, a scary proposition. I can't even imagine it. The first time I, I taught a Bible class, I stood up in front of a men's Bible class back in York, Pennsylvania, and when I was there, my knees were knocking so bad that I could hardly stand up. And I had prepared a 45-minute message that wound up being 10 minutes, and I sat down. And I imagine my experience before the judgment seat of Christ <laughs> might be similar to that. But that's what the Bible says. We're all going to give account of our life. And we already know we have the mystery of reconciliation, the word of reconciliation. We know we're ambassadors for Christ. We know that when a person comes to Christ, all things pass away, be thing, all things become new. Why would we not share the gospel of Christ? Now, I want to show you something. Uh, i would bet you've never seen this in another missions conference. You probably never will again. I'm going to teach you how to lead somebody to Christ quickly. Not my idea. This is an evangelist that showed me. I've used this over and over again, and it works. There are seven verses that you can lead a person to Christ, and you don't have to know anything. All you have to do is have your Bible. You have to have it open to First John chapter 5, beginning at verse uh, 9, and you can lead a person to Christ. And what you do is you talk to a person, and you get them to the place, you just say this to them. Would you mind if I could show you from the Word of God something that's really special that God wants to tell you? And they'll always say yes. I've only been turned down one time. They'll always say yes. And then you, what you do is you open the Bible up, and you know what you do? You hand it to them. You hand it to them. And you say, you see verse 9 there? Read the verse Read the verse to me. So I'll read the verse. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. So they read the verse. Then you say this. Tell me what that means. What does it mean to you? And they'll tell you. And if they're off a little bit, you you sort of correct them. You tell them that, that God's witness is much greater than the witness here on earth. And it's, it just tell them that what God really wants us to know is about His Son. That's all you have to say about that verse. Then you go to the next verse, verse ten. Let them read it. He who believes in the Son of God, don't forget, he just testified about His Son. You can also say this the word "testify" comes from a Greek root that means martyr. In other words, it's not just saying something flippantly. It means that you're going to say something that has deep meaning to you. It's, it's something that you would die for. So it's a it's a permanent word. Then you go to verse, verse 10. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him, has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. In other words, the first verse says that God's going to tell you about his Son. And the second verse tells you that the Son is the one that uh, brings salvation. He has a witness in himself. And the person that doesn't believe in the Son, what does it say? has made him a liar. He made God a liar. Well, you can just say, well, you know God's not a liar. Everybody knows God doesn't tell lies. He's the only one you get gowned on. There's no one I ever encountered that would think that God could tell a lie because he has not believed the testimony that God's given. So you just say, well, a person that doesn't believe what God just said about his son um, means that they're a liar, that they don't believe. And then you go, read the next verse, verse 11. And this is a testimony that God has given us eternal life, and the life is in the Son. What does that mean? Well, it means that if you believe in the Son, you get eternal life. That's all you have to say. Go to the next verse, verse 12. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's only one, it's only one way. You either have the Son or you don't. You get life, eternal life, or you don't get it. What's the next verse? Verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. What does that verse mean to you? Well, it means that uh, you can know whether you have salvation or not. It also knows that um, you need to believe in the name of the Son of God. You need to believe in Jesus Christ. And if they get that, that's fine. Move on. Verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And then I read the other verse with it, and, if, and let him read the other verse. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. Do you see what that says? It says if you pray a prayer, if you ask anything according to God's will, and God's will is that all, all should come to repentance, that all should be saved. If you pray a prayer according to God's will, that verse promises 100% that it will be answered. So if you pray to God and ask him for salvation, he will give it to you. That's the promise in those two verses. And I'm, then I say, would you like to ask Jesus to come into your heart? Most of the time they say yes. And then we pray our prayer. Then after the prayer is over, I do this. I say, did Jesus come in? Did Jesus come in? And it's funny because they want to have some kind of a, an experience. They want to have some supernatural, oh. and when they're honest, they say, "Well, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know that anything happened." Then I go, "Let's go back and read verse fourteen and fifteen over." Now, this is a confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Did you ask anything according to His will? Yes. Did He hear you? Yeah. And we know that if He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we have asked of Him. If you ask according to will, He will always do it. And you're a believer in Christ. What does that do? That not only brings them to Christ, but He gives them assurance of their salvation. Because they ask according to God's will. So you don't have to know very much about the Bible. All you have to know is verses 9 through 15 of First John chapter 5. And if you lead them through that, a lot of the people that I've gone through, see, they're reading God's Word. You're letting them read God's Word. You're letting them explain it. And you're letting them receive Christ. And I've seen God superintend that on many, many occasions to bring people to Christ, but you've also, after they received Christ as their Savior, because they did what God asked them to do, you give them assurance of their salvation, that they're saved, and have eternity in their future. What a great blessing our God has for each one of us. I want to finish by um, showing this video it's a video uh, that we did in the mission office. It actually was an afterthought after we did a video for the mission, but it, our staff put it together for me. It's about me. It might be self-serving in a way, but I think it will uh, give you some information that might be interesting to you. The reason I do what I do is because uh, I was saved at the age of 12 in a Vacation Bible School. I grew up as a Lutheran, and we never heard the gospel. And I was saved at a Baptist church and after Vacation Bible School, but I never had any growth. And, and finally, um, when I was um, in my early 20s, I met my wife, who was a very devout Christian. At the same time, I went to service, and my best friend became a Mormon. And uh, he was trying to take, do these Bible studies with Mormonism. In the first one, he, we were in James and talking about getting wisdom and this kind of stuff. And I talked to my, my, my wife-to-be and uh, her mother, and it was, you know, you're saved by, by faith, <laughs> grace through faith. So I got confused. So I started reading the Bible for the very first time and to figure this out because one's works and the other's is uh, faith and grace. And uh, I saw through the Word of God that it's by faith uh, that you're saved. Mm, hallelujah. And I, the verse that brought me to Christ was, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Not you can be, but you will be saved. Right. I was married and we went to Okinawa in a, in a service. My wife came over six weeks after I, I was stationed there. And we lived there two and a half years until I got out of service. And when I came back, because we had worked with missionaries and had done evangelism in, in Okinawa, Mm-hmm. I really blessed my family. I really tried to get them saved in the flesh, and I turned them all off. And then when I really turned off, was my mother, who was uh, she was a head nurse in the room at the co- at the hospital there, a very intelligent lady, but she's a lady that can only see black and white. And faith yeah. was a concept she just couldn't she couldn't buy. Mm-hmm. And so all these years I was praying for my mother and praying for my mother, and she never came to to faith. And because you know you want your mom and dad and your, your brother to uh, to wind up in heaven and it always gave me a burden for souls and I've had a burden for souls my whole life because of that Yeah. and finally at the end of her life uh, she got Alzheimer's and I thought um, I thought God uh, wasn't going to answer that prayer I thought he couldn't answer the prayer because she was out of her mind when you go and talk right. to her she didn't even know who you were right. and uh, on one Saturday night I went uh, and I drove home and um, I was there alone with mom and dad in the living room there and I was trying to figure out where she was because if you could figure out where her mind was, you know, what what age or, or, right. or where she was, you could talk to her in that era. Mm-hmm. And I, I was trying to find out and she finally realized who I was and then she realized that I was a pastor and a, a mission leader. Then she remembered, she was way back in my childhood and she remembered that, I, you know, she remembered me as a kid because I was the oldest one. I was the best one, but I was the oldest one <laughs> and she remembered me there, but she and she knew who I was now, but she couldn't remember the intervening years. Right. And she thought that she abandoned me. And I said, no, Mom, you didn't abandon me. You were a good mother. Uh, you, you did so many things for us. You cared for us. You loved me. You, you took care of me. She said, oh, I abandoned you. I abandoned you. She said, I have such guilt. And I said, Mom, I said I know someone that can take that guilt away. And she said, well, who's that? I said, well, it's Jesus. I said, can I tell you about it? Yes, tell me about him. So I told her the gospel. And I said, Mom, would you like to ask Jesus to come into your heart? Yes, I would like to ask Jesus to come into my heart. I started praying the, uh, the prayer of faith with her, and she prayed it out loud. And she was such a quiet person, she would have never pray out loud in front of Dad. She prayed out loud in front of both of us, and, and she prayed out loud to receive Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. And then she was laying, she was up like this in her chair. And after the prayer was over, she went like this such peace and my mom came to faith after 42 years of prayer because I had such a burden for my parents and particularly for my mom I have a burden for the world because I don't want anyone to go to hell yeah. I want everybody to be redeemed Amen. and I want everyone to have a chance to uh, be in the presence of Christ throughout eternity and so the Lord took me from a small town that doesn't even exist has maneuvered me around, and has got me to this position which I don't deserve, and uh, has allowed me to minister to the world in a certain sense to our people.
1: Amen. And uh, so God's good.
0: Father, we thank you so much for your grace and the love you have for each one of us. Thank you so much for the privilege of, of knowing you. Thank you for the forgiveness. Are receiving You as our Savior. Lord, help us to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Help us to be the ones who change lives. Help us to be the ones who are the proclaimers, who have the ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation. Help us to do Your work and to do Your will. Lord, I pray that Your good hand of blessing would remain upon this church. And Lord, I'm so thankful for this church and the missions commitment they have and the way the people respond to the mission's messages. And Lord, I pray that you continue to bless them. I pray that they would find just the right man to lead this ministry. I pray that he would be a man of vision. I pray that he would be a man of compassion. I pray that he would be a man of ability. But most of all, I pray pray that he'd have a great heart for you and a great heart for the lost in this world. And Lord, I pray that you continue to bless this church, enlarge this church, use this church in this community. I pray that this would truly be a lighthouse and a place where people could come to find not only faith and peace, but also could serve and could go to the fields that are white unto harvest. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of being together tonight as we ask it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.